Welcome to the New Monks. This podcast is dedicated to those of us on the journey of evolution. Through these episodes, we will dive into the lives of individual people and discover what they have learnt and how they have handled their growth. We believe that we all have wisdom to be shared with each other and can learn from listening to each other's stories. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel and Apple Podcasts. Spotify, if you feel like leaving us a review and sharing the love, that would be greatly appreciated. So this is just a heads up because, you know, there's a lot of information that is coming to light at the moment. And through these episodes, each person is going to share a different side of that for them. Now, this isn't to say that every single thing that is shared here is going to be 100% accurate, you know, it's just not where we are right now, it's just not the case of the unravelling and the disclosures that are being revealed to us. Obviously, things are always, always changing, and in one moment something can be so real and so true, and the next moment is completely shifted and changed into something else. This is the journey of evolution, this is the journey of incension that we are going through right now. So, this is just an invitation that you're discernment is really really important as always as usual please take what resonates and leave the rest thank you welcome back to the new monks podcast i am jay muller your host and in this episode 25 i'm talking to nicole who is a doctor and actually left the profession in 2018 before everything hit and shifted And I'm really happy and grateful to be able to talk to her, not just because of the experience that she's been through, but also because she is a doctor and because she is able to come forward and share her story and be vulnerable and open and admit fault. And so this is really, really amazing story. And I'm sure there are so many other people that are also going through the similar thing because I know from my inner knowing that this is what this period of time is all about so that things can come to the surface so that we can really see them and so that we can really see truth and so that we can really see what is happening in the world and as much as it can be very difficult for us our ego and you know our human being to be able to admit that there's a lot of darkness and corruption and craziness taking place and from my journey it's definitely something that i've come to discover is that that is actually just the way that it is and in an in a way it's easy to just say oh no 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 they would never do that it's not true it's not true and label things as conspiracies and so we talk a lot about this her story is an interesting one because this time last year january 2021 she trusted information she trusted the media she received the injection And slowly, slowly, what she describes as the uh, three big moments that led to a big paradigm shift for her and an unraveling of what's really taking place and having conversations with people who had a differing and opposing perspective. But due to her curiosity and open mind, she was able to integrate and really listen. But, you know, it took a little while for the seeds to blossom of all the information of what people had been telling her for a period of time, right? To really understand what is taking place. 
So we speak about this journey and also another theme that is interesting because Cassandra in the previous episode as well also talks about this. Being in an abusive relationship is where she begins this episode. And for that reason, again, the same as Cassandra, she ties the connection between what we're experiencing right now with people at the top and people in charge with very similar narcissistic traits that can happen in abusive relationships. And once you've been through that, you, you know what to be aware of. And I love what she says here and how she never expected herself to be in an abusive relationship. And all of a sudden, there she was. So it really, it's something that we should all be aware of. Because right now, as Cassandra said before as well, you know, we're all in an abusive relationship with our government. <laughs> and so what to do about this? You know, this is, this is the journey. This is the great awakening. This is what is taking place right now on this planet. And yeah, this space, this conversation, these episodes are really just that raw vulnerability to express ourselves in this process and in this journey. So please share this with anyone if you think it might help them. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Also, if you feel like you would like some more support on this process, especially if something that's been happening over this period of time, the past two years since 2020, then yeah, do head to our website and check out our online course, Awakening 101, A Ninja's Guide to Navigating Your Spiritual Awakening. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for being here and open to sharing your story. So great to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so usually before we begin, I like to just take a few Deep breath in and out. And then just tell us how you're feeling right now. Sorry? Oh, and then just tell us how you're feeling right now. <laughs> uh, right now, pretty calm, um, excited, a little anxious, but more, more excited than anxious because um, this experience of, you know, what we were talking about before we started recording a similar experience but it's it's felt very like kind of trapped the the story so i'm excited to get it out <laughs> wow i love that why do you feel like it's been trapped well i think because with the exception of my boyfriend and maybe a couple other friends um this paradigm shift that i've experienced mm -hmm. um I, I'm reluctant, I suppose, to share it with in in an intimate way, I guess, in a deep way with too many people because some people have no idea what I'm talking about. That's why. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. It's it's weird. It can be a bit difficult because it can be like misunderstood in a way. 
Yes. I think that's the fear for sure. But the only way to overcome that fear is to face it head on. So I guess that's what we're doing. (laughs) I love that. But do you want to give a little intro maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my name is Nicole, uh, Nicole Colwell. I'm a doctor and MD. Um, I'm originally from New York. I just moved to Texas with my boyfriend. Um, Let's see, I guess professional background. So I graduated from medical school in 2017. Before that, um, I worked at the NIH, which is the National Institutes of Health. It's where um, the most of the the research, clinical and bench research is done um, and what funds all the research in the United States. So I did a year fellowship there. Um, When I graduated medical school, I matched to neurosurgery. So I did a year of brain surgery (laughs) and I realized that that lifestyle was not, it was soul crushing. I loved the patients. The the cases were really interesting. The surgeries were great, but uh, the work environment, the healthcare system. And, you know, I think as a result, uh, a lot of my colleagues were very toxic and it was just, I didn't feel that I could be the doctor that I aspired to be. Mm-hmm. And so I left the system in 2018. So since then, um, I've been working in the regulatory space, which is basically like you look at, um, you look at data used to, for, I work in medical devices, but um, you look at data to submit to the FDA or TGA or different regulatory agencies. Um, which is very interesting. Um, and I like that. I appreciate that I can work remotely. That's great. Um, and I also have my own writing business. So mm-hmm. that's my professional background. Yeah. Yeah. That's so amazing. So how come, just a random question here, how come you moved to Texas? Well, New York is just not the city that um, I grew up around. And, uh, you know, uh, how to, how to explain this. The, the reason I loved, I've always loved being a New Yorker is kind of like the, the character, the personality of the city. Like there's a certain edge to it, a certain bravado. And I feel like that spirit has just been crushed. It is, it's not the same place at all. And um, there's a lot of fear now. There's a lot of People don't talk to each other anymore. Like New York is pretty cool, um, similar to London, I, I feel like, because you you walk down the street, there's a lot of people walking down the street and I feel like there used to be a lot more interaction mm-hmm. and that's that's mostly gone now. And I remember there is, uh, we were already planning to leave, but I remember there was a day that we we're waiting for a train, my boyfriend and I in, in Penn Station and we're apart from everyone, but we didn't have masks on. And we were just getting these glares from people and, you know, just thinking about where that comes from, from like a place of anxiety, a place of anger, a place of shaming. And, um, you know, just that negativity, it, it kind of, it pushed us over the edge and we wanted to be somewhere where, you know, that day-to-day experience was uh, a little bit more uplifting. <laughs> so you say this has like shifted is it since 2020 really or? Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like London has always been a place where people don't really talk to each other. But (laughs) New York, I think, yeah, people do. But yeah. 
So, um, yeah, I guess I'd love to hear just more about your journey. I like the word that you used earlier now, you know, I can't even remember what it was now, but this like unraveling, you know, this shift that you've been going through. Yeah, the paradigm shift. That's it. Yeah, the paradigm shift. Well, there's, I think it came in a lot of phases. So, and, and it's really difficult to put words to, but I guess that's, I'll try hit the purpose of this. But really, how I think this happened is um, it happened in, in stages and in unexpected stages where I didn't even realize that it was happening until one moment where everything kind of came crashing down around me. So I guess I'll start from the beginning. Um, so during 2020, um, that year, so in New York, we are in a pretty strict quarantine we called it so even though it wasn't enforced as strictly as it was like in Australia um, for the first like six to nine months probably about six months we was kind of like a voluntary quarantine so we people worked from home people didn't really leave their their houses or apartments very much and um, leading up to uh, I guess March 2020 I just started dating someone. And so when it became clear that we we're going to have to lock down for a couple months, I was like, okay. So I, I kind of moved in with him earlier than I, I guess would, I felt comfortable. Um, in retrospect, thank God for that because it ended up being an abusive relationship. And this is really important in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So I'm very open talking about this because a lot of people are affected by it. And I think it's stigmatized in a way where like, um, where, where people assume that like very frail, weak people are the ones that find themselves in domestic violence situations when I mean, my perception of myself was like, I'm a bad bitch. This will never happen to me. <laughs> and, you know, obviously, like, I'm very educated and I guess didn't fit my own stereotype of what a domestic violence situation would look like. And the fact is, it's very insidious and it's mostly psychological. Um, there were three times where it got physical and even sexual at certain points and the psychological abuse is not is so much worse than physical or sexual abuse so much worse and here's why because there's a definitive start and definitive end to physical and sexual abuse those episodes and you know for sure that they happened so even though it's horrible and you feel very powerless and you feel very like um, questioning, like, what did I do to deserve it? You know for sure that it happened. Yes. The abuse that happens to get you to the point of, did I deserve somebody putting their hands on me? That is the unseen abuse mm. that I think everyone on earth would do well to familiarize themselves with. Yes. Because I had made excuses. I thought like, okay, well, perhaps he's on the spectrum, like mildly on the spectrum. And he doesn't see my emotions. He doesn't recognize how much he's hurting me. This is me making excuses. And then um, it, it also goes back to our childhood a lot too. So I was raised in kind of a harsh environment and 
certain phrases were used like you're selfish or you're arrogant. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, little like limiting beliefs, not little, those are huge limiting beliefs are playing on a subconscious level. So that's how you start convincing yourself like, Ooh, maybe I deserved it. Maybe I was like a little too sassy there. Like maybe I pushed him too far. And there was one day where I, I don't know what changed, but I realized that there's a, there's a likelihood that he's, he's doing this on purpose. So I tested it. The next time like he said something hurtful, just like a little cutting remark, um, I didn't give him a reaction. I just like, Ooh. I just kept folding the laundry. And he's like, oh, what, you don't care now? So that blew the autism thing out of the water because he, he knew he was looking for my reactions. And when I didn't give him a negative reaction, he noticed. So then I realized, wow, he's doing this on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I got out. Mm-hmm. And that experience, the fact that I could be in an abusive relationship for almost a year and not even know it terrified me, but it also fascinated me. So I really dove into learning about um, abusive relationships and particularly the psychological component. So this was late 2020, um, early 2021. I was very, very interested in learning about um, the psychology behind narcissism and sociopathy and psychopathy. So kind of like the cluster B personality disorders. Um, They're also known as uh, the dark triad. And it made me realize that, wow, this this kind of evil actually exists among us. And they can come in the form of like a really friendly, charming, uh, he was an architect, professional person. And it doesn't look like what you think it would look like. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe everything you said because before the call, you just said how it's mad how similar our experiences are. And yeah. it's one thing that I didn't mention because I think that's when my journey started was after really? a relationship. Yeah. Oh, it's also like a year. And it was also psychological mainly. And I always say like the psychological abuse is so much worse than so much worse. Yeah. I completely agree with what you're saying. And it, and and it gets to you in the subconscious. Sometimes you don't even realize that it's just like lingering there, you know, oh. even from childhood, like you said, those phrases if you continuously are told something, it's, it's there whether you like it or not, you know? Yeah. Even if you disagree with it, it's still yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So part of my healing journey, um, especially at first, was understanding w- what the hell happened to me. Uh, so, I was, yeah, and that part as well, like but what you said about how you always saw yourself as a really strong person, I was exactly the same. Yeah. It's like, how did this happen to me? <laughs> right, exactly. And that's part of the reason why, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of my family and friends see me that way. Yes. So that's why I'm so eager to share that story about how abuse can happen to anyone, how it doesn't look like what you think it looks like. Yeah because I think that other people will start to recognize it in their lives and protect themselves from it. So that's why I'm so open about it. That's so true. Yeah. So, you know, learning about these psychological patterns um, and, and, you know, it's, it's only a list and there's certain tactics that are used as well. 
And the list of tactics is only, it's pretty, the playbook is pretty thin. <laughs> There's probably, I would say 10 to 20 tops tactics that are used. And once you identify them, you start to see them everywhere. And I identified them in medicine. And I realized that's why I had to get out of there. I identified a lot of them, um, unfortunately, in my own mother, um, who, you know, she experienced her own childhood trauma. And it's like an intergenerational thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it helped me make a lot more sense of my experiences growing up. And then, <laughs> um, and I remember it was, it was April 15th, 2021. So almost a year, year ago now. Mm -hmm. uh, so you start to see these patterns everywhere. And, you know, it seems so silly because there, I guess there were seeds planted leading up to this, but there was, what happened was there was this um, psychotherapist, uh, Richard Granin. And he, he does a lot of like guided meditations and part of my healing process, I was meditating a lot and I would listen to him, you know, if not every day, every other day. And he had um, all the thousands of pieces of content over the course of years on Instagram. And then one day I went to go find him and he was just gone. His whole platform was gone. And I was like, I'd heard about censorship, which I've known from, you know, history classes that that's like a red flag for any society. But at that point I was convinced like, oh, well, they're just, it's, it's not very much. And they're just censoring the, the really bad things. I didn't really think about it until his platform just completely disappeared. And, you know, he's a psychotherapist. He was hardly a controversial character in my opinion. And uh, thank God, but he did a reaction video on YouTube. So I found his channel on YouTube and he was very skittish when he was talking because he was like, I really don't want to lose this channel as well. So I'll be very careful in what I say, but he was talking about something and I had no idea what he was talking about. And I was concerned because of how skittish he was. So every term that he mentioned that I didn't know what it was or every individual, every name, I wrote it down. I had a list of like 20 different things. And one of those terms was the great reset. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I started researching what that was. And then I, re I realized that I realized that there is a motive. And I realized that a lot of the ideas that I thought were my own were actually part of a scheme to manipulate people. And I realized that I had been being handled on a psychological level and then things just kind of crumbled from there. <laughs> uh, what do you mean the ideas that you thought were your own? Um, let's see. Political correctness. So oh, I that's really a big believed, one. I really believed that that was simply being polite. Mm -hmm. That was showing respect. That was kindness. And now I see it for mm -hmm. what it really is. Which is? <laughs> In my opinion, I think that it is designed to do exactly what it did to me, but also to foster a reflexive self-censorship. Mm -hmm. So yes. 
when we speak, anytime we speak, doesn't matter if it's in public or with a friend, the sentiment starts in our minds and then goes through language channels and comes out in the form of speech. Mm-hmm. And we have a neocortex, <laughs> which is kind of like the brakes, <laughs> which makes, which is why we, you know, typically don't scream at each other on the street <laughs> to promote sociality. Mm-hmm. But that neocortex, I feel like is an overdrive and is like, it's, it's like driving with the emergency brake on. Mm-hmm. So instead of focusing on say, communicating what you truly mean, you have this constant anxiety of saying the wrong thing and mm-hmm. fear of having the message be lost mm-hmm. because you're not following all of the rules. So it's self-censorship in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And the thing about censorship, I find it so interesting because in a way, I, I guess it's kind of what you're talking about. It, it can seem like it makes sense because why do we want to spread misinformation? You know? Right. Then, then when you start to really look into it, like you said, the guy that you were following, it, he seemed quite innocent. Why are they censoring him? Like, right. Yeah. And I feel like that happened to a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of people, they, um, you know, like his, his life work was on the content, was on Instagram. And so a lot of people, like they, their, their income level is tied to that. Yeah. So, you know, I don't blame them for being cautious about speaking their minds fully, but at the same time, like it's difficult for me to believe at this point that that happened organically. Uh, sorry, that what happened organically? Just that these systems, these unseen systems, um, these unseen social expectations have been set and they just um, sprung up organically. It seems to me that um, there are certain people that would benefit from keeping people afraid and keeping people from talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, I like what you said about the self-censorship because it's, it's like you said at the beginning about abuse, it's almost like you can't see it, you know, but right. it's, and it's in you, so you think it's yours. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You think that the problem is you. Yeah. And, yeah. and you might just overlook it because you've always been like that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. It's like that's the, the normalization of, yeah, and you can feel it in your body that something isn't right. You can feel it. And your mind on some level craves an explanation for that. And really it's being done to you. Your strings are being pulled, but you don't recognize that. So you think one, you're doing it to yourself or two, you're just being paranoid and and it doesn't really exist, but it does. I like what you said there, but you can feel it in your body. I think the thing is that a lot of people are not necessarily connected to listening to their bodies. Right. So it's like this thing where, like you said, oh no, I'm just, Mm -hmm. there's all sorts of excuses. Oh no, no. But when you actually start tuning in, it's like, oh, what is that? Mm-hmm. And then I feel like that also ties into, you know, you doubt yourself. 
And you mm-hmm. don't want to, this word term conspiracy theory is just such a. I know. But at this <laughs> point, I am, at this point, it, it actually makes me laugh because the more it's used, the less power it has. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing with like oh you're a nazi am i am i really a nazi that's really what you believe like <laughs> yeah, so the yeah. more these labels are being slapped down instead yeah. of stories being entertained the labels lose power so yeah. I, I it's not that i welcome it but at this point i'm just like all right keep using the labels because at some point some people are going to be like that's just not true <laughs> yeah and it, and it loses its meaning because it's been used so much so much, yeah. yeah. I also encourage people to um, reclaim it. <laughs> yes. Kind of like the, the word bitch. Yes. At some point, that was reclaimed. That yeah. probably had like a really bad sting um, socially, I don't know, decades ago. And then at some point, being a bad bitch became a very good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when people call me a conspiracy theorist, I was like, yeah, do you like my tinfoil hat? It goes, it goes well with my white coat. Um, I call it a tinfoil crown. <laughs> I call it, uh, I call myself a conspiracy analyst. <laughs> wow, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> Feel free to steal it. <laughs> no credit needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I totally resonate with that. Yeah. It's frustrating because it, it's, uh, it's an easy cop out to shut down conversations. Because if you really are relaxed and calm emotionally when you think about it conspiracies have been happening since the dawn of time (laughs) there is certain personalities that are attracted to positions of power they tend to be kind of the dark personalities because most people with empathy i mean these are sweeping generalizations but they're not particularly drawn to power and control per se. They want to, to be in positions of power as I did, do, did. Um, they're, they're drawn to positions of power because they wanna make a difference in the world and they wanna help people, but they're not interested in power and control for control's sake. But there are personalities who seek control as an end, not a means to an end, as an end in itself. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like that's the difference between people who are here to serve others and then here to serve themselves. Exactly. I <laughs> and, totally agree. Yeah, and, and most of the people that are in those positions are kind of serving themselves. And it's obvious, you know? It is obvious. Yeah. So then it's like, you know, I feel like we need to normalize conspiracies, but not to go back to sleep, just yeah. to recognize that there is a, there are people that are in positions of money and power that have different interests than I, I guess we do the little people and by the little people i mean everybody that's working at blue collar white collar if you have a collar you're the little people <laughs> and i think it's important to recognize that the interests of people that work and the interests of the ruling class are very different and one of those groups has more means to serve their interests yeah they have the power they have the money yeah and they have a vested interest in making it not that obvious yes yes yeah i just wanted to say that i think it's so true what you said about um it's a really easy way to shut down the conversation yeah and then also that ties into the you know the self um censorship that you were talking about 
Exactly. Like automatic. Oh. And this thing about censorship I find so interesting because I've seen so many people say, you know, if you're not afraid of it or if you're not threatened by what people are saying, there's no need to censor. You know, people exactly. make up their own decisions for themselves. <laughs> right. And if people are saying things that are wildly obviously wrong, let them be wildly obviously wrong. Yeah. I like that. Call them as such, explain your reasoning, but there's no need to eliminate them from the public sphere of ideas. No need, unless you're threatened by them. Yeah. And it completely throws the whole thing about freedom and freedom of spree- speech into question because, you know. Absolutely. And my concern is something I've been seeing lately is freedom is being morphed into something that's a bad thing. Yes, that's so true. Right? Or something associated with whiteness, Mm -hmm. which is strange to me because a lot of my friends that have immigrated, that are people of color that have immigrated from various countries, they come here for freedom. (laughs) Like my, um, my boyfriend is, is Mexican and his family moved to New York because they wanted freedom and they wanted freedom, economic freedom, opportunities, um, like less government corruption in order to pursue a good life for themselves. Like that's a good thing. Yeah. I I think what you're saying is I love how you started this with the abusive relationship (laughs) because like you said, it's so on point. And it's almost like there are these underlying themes that are happening that, you know, you might not be able to see and you just kind of think that it's just your reasoning. It's just the way the world is. It's just the way things are. And then it's like, well, actually, if you tune in, there's some other things going on. And another thing that's related to this, I feel like it's just this whole like sense of social responsibility. So, and it's like freedom versus the response, you know, like we have to protect all these other people. So all of a sudden now this idea of freedom is like, you know, not seen as like a good thing to pursue. Right. And I know. And I think it's, I don't, I don't feel like I have the, the words yet. I maybe haven't thought through it completely, but I think it's incumbent on us who see what's happening to articulate exactly why freedom Mm. is essential for the human to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You don't want to just survive. What's the, I always say to people, what's the purpose of saving lives in the first place as a doctor? Why do we save lives? So they can go home and live a meaningful life so Mm. they can hug their loved ones. So they can be there for the school plays, for the weddings. So they can support other people who are, who are down and, and lift their spirits. So this notion that we are doing the right thing and protecting our loved ones by staying away from them, I strongly disagree as a doctor and more importantly, as a human. <laughs> I love that. You know, there's actually a study that recently came out um, that said that social isolation is associated with cognitive decline. Yeah. Um, Higher incidences of dementia, heart disease, stroke, and then also obviously mental health, suicide is through the roof 
Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it's so crazy. It's quite sad. And and then it's like, you know, there's no, it's not like much you can necessarily do. Like we do what we can, you know? I know. Right? Yeah. And I think it comes down to <clears throat> right brain versus left brain. Like the, the left brain is much more interested in um, reason, logic, data, um, measurable things. And those are important. But if that is your sole focus, you neglect the right brain, which is more interested in creativity, in art, in self-expression, in love, in being social, and the, the things that really make life matter. Yeah. And you need your left brain um, because sometimes your right brain can trick you, but your right brain is what makes you experience the world um, and, and makes your life meaningful. Yeah, I've just started reading this book by Ian McGilchrist called... I've heard of him. Yeah, The Matter With Things. And it's, he's basically talking all about this and how there's a lack of, you know, the right brain in society. That's yeah. like two volumes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I totally feel that. And, and you're right, it is important, the left brain, but at the same time, it's, it's when you neglect. It's like you need them both, right? You absolutely need them both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, we can be tricked into, we can be tricked into, when we tricked into doing the wrong thing because we're over, overly focused on certain data points. Yeah. And we neglect the forest because we're obsessed with one tree. <laughs> Meanwhile, the forest is burning around, <laughs> burning down around you, but you're so focused on the one tree that it's like, well, why does this even matter if the forest is on fire? <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's a great analogy for what this past period <laughs> that's been going you through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. I'm, and naturally, I am a quite creative person, so I just feel like, yeah, for me, a lot of the stuff is just like, it doesn't make sense to me in this way. <laughs> yeah. You know. I think the other important thing is to, we need to acknowledge that we all have different values mm -hmm. in society. And that's a good thing that mm -hmm. makes us diverse. Some people, they truly do value safety over freedom, but we need both. We need both because if we are existing in the world you know, trying to eliminate all potential dangers. And that's like the reason for our existence. That's not a life at all. That's constantly playing defense, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like, I use the example of, um, you know, end of life care in, in the hospital, especially. So there's, I would say, an obsession with maximizing the quantity of life. Now, what does that mean? Of course you want to live a long time, but if towards the end of life, you are unable to, to swallow 
as easily. And there, there is a lot of dangers with that. Like you could aspirate something into your lungs, get pneumonia, like that could accelerate your death. But if for the last couple of years of your life, you're not able to have a cookie and your favorite thing is, is cookies, is that, is that really a humane way to treat an elderly person? Is that a great, a great way to honor their life, you know? And this hyper-focus on extending life is really squeezing the life out of us. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like, um, yeah, the censorship thing is quite mad because I think there there are people who think it's a good thing, you know, like it, we, it should be censored. I mean, misinformation, da 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 you know. And I think... Uh, I understand that argument, but it also takes a level of hubris to be really sure that you're getting the right information. And if you don't know what you don't know because it's being censored, how can you be that sure? Yeah. And I think that is ultimately how we are as human beings. We don't know what we don't know. (laughs) Exactly. That's the nature of blind spots. We don't know that they're there. Yeah, 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 exactly. And like you were saying, uh, even the fear, you know, yeah, great. You know, you have a value of wanting to be safe. But there's some things that can crawl into that, like, you know, that you can actually work on and then it will allow you, you know, to right. Yeah, like fear is huge. I just feel like it affects you us in so many different ways and it's been a huge tool that they've been using (laughs) yeah and there's data to support that too i mean if you take children for instance who are not very affected by covid um they they are more i mean depends on the age group but if you take like five to eleven years old they're more likely to die from a motor vehicle accident like 10 times more likely nine times more likely to die from a homicide even and then five to to 11 year olds they're almost nine times more likely to die from suicide little children that's how much more likely they are like that's how much more risky those threats are but we don't pay any attention to them Mm -hmm. and if we think that the risk of those is relatively low which i do then why are we so worried if why are we so worried about COVID for them? Say that again. If the risks of so so I think that the risk, my perception of the risk of, of homicide for a child or you know suicide certainly for a child five to eleven years old, my perception of that risk is relatively low. Like if I I don't have any children yet, but if I did, I would perceive that risk to be relatively low. Okay, yeah. But the risk of dying from COVID is 10 times lower than that even. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then that begs the question of like, well, then why, do, why is being feared so much? Yeah. And you have to focus on, well, where is this information and messaging coming from? Yeah. And why is it so inaccurate? Mm, I love that. <laughs> why is it so inaccurate? <laughs> yeah. 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 So the, basically you were saying there were a few like big moments that led to this whole. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let's see. Um, so you want to talk about fear. So I was someone who was very fearful. This is going to seem unrelated, but I'll bring it, I'll bring it, I'll bring it back. I was very fearful of the event, the fact that uh, Donald Trump had become president. I was very uh, afraid of that, mostly because I didn't understand it. And when, I guess, January 6th of 2021 happened, I became really interested in it. And I became really interested in why, what, what would drive someone to do that? I didn't write everybody off as like completely crazy. There's too many people, you know? And mm. this was around the time that I was learning about manipulation, um, triangulation, blame shifting, uh, victim blaming things, all the, all the, all the tactics of psychological abuse, but I didn't connect the two. And because I was interested in what, what, why people were feeling this, I sought people out online who had this opinion and I asked them and they were like, well, we just don't want vaccine passports. And this was January of last year. So I had never even heard of a vaccine passport at that point. Wow. And so I was curious, like, well, how do you even know about this, that this is a thing? And, you know, nobody really told me, like, how they knew, but I, it was something so foreign to me that I was like, oh, okay, well, I agree that that would be a pretty extreme measure and probably unnecessary, especially at this point of... Um, at this point of the, the pandemic. And then, you know, months went by and I don't know, do you know Alex Zek? He's, yes. yeah. So I was interacting with people on his page yeah. and I had a, I disagreed with everyone on that page at that point um, that like vaccines were a good thing, that they were necessary. But at, that, at the same time, I always, I respect voluntary informed consent. Like that is the bedrock of our profession. Sorry, you're going to say? So you were saying that the vaccines were necessary. Yeah, I am vaccinated. <laughs> um, but admittedly, it's because I trusted the press release, really. Like I, 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 you have to, we have to be honest about why we do the things we do. And really what happened, my experience of it was that uh, Pfizer and Moderna came out with a press release saying 95% effective and I trusted it. Like I didn't look at the data myself. I didn't seek really the data out. I just trusted the regulatory process. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but that's really what it, what it was, even though like, and I think a lot of doctors, they want to save face and they want to minimize the degree of uncertainty that exists, but that promotes fear. That, I mean, people are way more intelligent than they're being given credit for. And if someone can see you hand-waving and not addressing a very legitimate concern, that increases doubt. <laughs> um, so yeah, January, I, I got vaccinated in January last year. And because it was my own choice, none of the craziness happened yet. And 
I was interacting with people on Alexek's page and Alexek actually made a lot of time um, to interact with me personally. Uh, actually, at one point, I think he was afraid that I was like a mole for allopathic medicine <laughs> and that I was just trying to infiltrate his page. <laughs> he told me that at one point. Oh, but I was like, no, I'm just genuinely interested. And so then what happened was <laughs> in February, I know, he's like, uh, I don't know, I need I need some space. I need to think about this. I was like, all right, I'll give you all the space you need. Like, it's okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, after a couple of weeks went by and I guess like he observed more normal behavior from me <laughs> interacting with people on his page, he actually made a lot of time to have pretty regular phone calls with me. Wow. And at that point, yeah, we strongly disagreed, but we stayed in dialogue. And he was telling me that there were not, that placebo controlled studies for vaccines in kids didn't exist. And I'm gonna tell you right now in medical school, we did, we spent like less than half an hour on vaccines. We, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're just kind of like an accepted thing. Wow. I know. Imagine my surprise with everything I've learned. So they were just an accepted thing. They're touted as the reason why we don't have infectious disease in, um, in modern society. Um, and we learn a little bit about adjuvants. We, we learn a little bit about the mechanism of action if they're live attenuated or not. Um, we learn the schedule and that's about it. I remember on my pediatrics rotation, um, it's probably 2015 or so, uh, the conversation came up when it was like a, a, a networking lunch. And I remember standing in line for food with a couple other doctors. Uh, I was a med student at the time. And I, I asked an innocent question of like, well, how, how are we so sure that it doesn't cause autism? Like, do we, do we have the research? Innocent question shut down immediately. The response was, well, the doctor that published that study, he has been uh, ostracized from the field. That's not what I asked. I asked, how do we know? How do we know it doesn't? And I still, the God honest truth is now I don't know, but we need to investigate that. And we need to be honest about why we think the, the things that we think. And if we are gonna rule something out, we, the, that burden of proof is on us. Yeah, man, I, I'd just like you to ask you a question about that because I feel like that happens a lot and it's, it's weird. It's just these conversations are just being shut down. Yeah. But why is that a problem when people just say, oh, yeah, but that doctor was, you know, his platform was, you know, censored and or, you know, he's been ruled out because it's incorrect and... Well, it's problematic because you have to consider the list of reasons why that might happen. So one of those reasons is he was vehemently incorrect, um, actually debunked, and the, the totality of evidence was examined and the same um, level of appraisal was equally given for each piece of evidence for or against. Um, and because of that, the suggestion that, I don't know, vaccines cause autism was definitively shut down. I've not seen that, but that's a potential reason why someone would be excommunicated from the field. 
do I think that that would be a good reason? No, because I think that that person would be doing due diligence to see whether or not they cause that. Anyway, that could be a potential reason. Other reasons are that there is a financial incentive by corporations to make sure that those sort of investigations are shut down. And that's a really troubling one that's not considered. I'll mm -hmm. tell you right now, a lot of doctors, they do not consider the conflicts of interest of big pharma and the regulatory agencies. They trust, they just trust. Mm -hmm. And they have the capability of sitting down with all the evidence and really going through it themselves, but they don't have the time. Because patient care does take up so much time. I mean, I was a resident, a surgical resident, but I was working 100 hour weeks. It's only 168 hours in the week. That is so and crazy. It is insane. And a lot, and you also have, have to publish your own research in your own field in order to stay relevant. So there simply isn't enough time to spend you know, a week going through all the evidence for vaccines if you're a neurosurgeon, you know? So given that that's the case, um, I think it's really important to be honest about what is and is not known. Mm -hmm. And if you're just going on faith, you got to call it for what it is. It's faith. That my experience at the NIH was actually really helpful because it took me two weeks to do one experiment. And if you're not there, like at the lab bench, knowing your methodology, what could go wrong at any point, how reliable a certain result is from that experiment, you, you're the only one that knows that. And it's on you to communicate when you publish a scientific manuscript, the degree of certainty about your results, but then somebody else will take those results and build on them. And then that iteration happens like a hundred times and a lot can be lost. And that's why things in science are uncertain. That's why it's problematic to shut down conversation because in that process of iteration of attempting to reproduce the experiment and failing, and then that just being brushed under the rug and suddenly we have some evidence for a given pharmaceutical that makes it through the FDA, just because it has that stamp of approval doesn't mean that there isn't room for reasonable doubt about it. It's not perfect just because it gets FDA approved. In fact, I would submit that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ways to manipulate data to get them to show what you want to show. And that's another reason why it's problematic to shut down conversations because you could be wrong. Mm, mm, I love you that. I mean, I think to the, the, the like average um, person, it, it's you can see how manipulate uh, data is manipulated in the media. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah, and I think that common sense is overlooked mm. in medicine because of intrinsic biases that we have. Ooh. So yeah. like thinking critically or, and especially going against the grain in medicine is heavily, heavily 
socially disincentivized and professionally. Because think about it, if you, if you spend your, pretty much your entire life, if you get hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to go to medical school and you don't have time, first of all, you don't have time to, to, to examine each and every question on the exam. There's usually like a, a cited study associated with the question that you don't go through that study. You barely have enough time to study for your exams. Um, but anyway, like you go through all this training and you're so much in debt. And if you say the wrong thing these days, your entire career could be threatened. So I think when people say, oh, well, doctors and experts, uh, they agree. It's like, do they agree or are they just afraid to say what they really think? Yeah, again, censorship. Yep. Big themes just everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's at the point where I'm afraid that I think public trust has been lost in allopathic medicine and I think we deserve it. Wow. I think, I think it's deserved because of the level of gaslighting that's happened. Mm -hmm. Like a patient will say, well, I think this might be connected to the, to the vaccine. They got vaccinated. Like they're clearly not anti-vax, but be, they are concerned for whatever reasons that certain symptoms that they're having may be connected and to just auto reject, like, Oh no, it's not related. Well, okay. How do you know? I, I'm, I had this conversation with a doctor the other day. I said, okay, so VAERS is unreliable, uh, like our vaccine adverse event reporting system. So it's unreliable because it's passed. Okay, all right, fine. So where's the reliable safety data? Where is it? And the response that I got was, oh, well, you give it to about 40,000 people and you follow them for a year or so. Well, that's not what happened because the phase three trial started at the end of July and the results were announced the beginning of November. That's three, four months. So a lot of disease, they, they creep up over a long period of time. I mean, autoimmune diseases, neurological diseases, cancer for sure. Mm. So there, there are certain things that would happen right away, like anaphylaxis, like a severe allergic reaction. Um, myocarditis, we know that happens like right after the second dose. But there are potentially other things that wouldn't be captured in that three month period. Mm -hmm. And extremely problematic is in that randomized control trial, the placebo people, the people that got a placebo, they were unblinded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now there's literally no way for us to know. Mm -hmm. And rather than acknowledging that uncertainty and being like, yeah, I know we did the best we could with the time frame that we had. And it wasn't perfect. Mm -hmm. Instead, we shame, we gaslight, we suppress. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think we deserve it. Like, I think that doctors, uh, I, people aren't going to trust us. And I, I don't blame them. I don't blame them. And I think trust can only be restored through conversations like this. Being more honest with ourselves as professionals about what we do or do not know. Acknowledging corruption in big pharma and the fact that the FDA and Big Pharma are basically like a revolving door. There's a lot of conflict of interest there. Um, is that a conspiracy? I don't know what you want to call it, but it's not good. 
And I think a lot of doctors are afraid to look because of what that would mean for their careers. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot that you said here that is just, it's happening. It's taking yeah. place, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think, again, what you said at the beginning was just so on point, the abusive relationship. And in yeah. the end, it comes from the top and it trickles down and you yeah. are going to be embodying these values and these traits and toxic behavior. Oh, and, absolutely. You know, and you don't even know, realize that, like you said, as a doctor, things are uncertain. So this, you know, there's no problem with just saying, actually, maybe it could be. But when you're then, you know, continuing the cycle of these behaviors, it's just right. like to me it looks like it's a lot of people who aren't doing inner reflection self-healing work you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's exactly it and um the other thing for a lot of times I'll get the uh the question of like oh so you think this is conspiracy you think that everybody's in on it no yeah. no I think most people don't realize that they're in on it because yes. here's, if you, if let's say uh, there's a TV show, just make a TV show about um, an actual conspiracy. What it doesn't matter what the conspiracy is, but you, some corruption and your goal is to affect everyone. Well, you only really only have to control a couple hundred people at the top. Yeah. And then everybody else has a boss. Yeah. It's not that hard. If yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with you. I think sometimes that can be a hard one for people to understand because people think that other people are just saying, oh, it's this big uh, like group of people and everyone's involved in it. And, uh, you know, but it yeah, no. doesn't take that much, like you said. Like a couple of rotten apples at the top trickle down yeah. because people don't want to lose their jobs. And most everybody has a boss nowadays. Honestly, the fact that I work for myself is why I feel so comfortable shining light on this. Mm. And I, you know, if I didn't do the inner work on myself after that abusive relationship, I don't even know if I would have noticed it. Wow. Yeah. But something in you definitely know, I was going to say this earlier, actually, you said something like, uh, you didn't really know, but some for you to leave the relationship in the first place, right? There must oh, be yeah. Yeah, something there. Maybe it just wasn't like in the surface. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's funny because you talk about like what you, you don't know what you don't know. And also, um, this, is, this is my tinfoil crown, as we discussed before, <laughs> that the fact that this is happening in every country, especially every Western country simultaneously, you'd think that there would be a little bit more diversity in the response. Like it wouldn't be such a, such a heavy hand mm-hmm. across the board. Yeah. And, you know, I think I, I just, I told my boyfriend last night, um, cause I'm, I'm in a very healthy, happy relationship now. Um, and I think that's only possible because of, you know, doing the inner work on myself, but Mm. I, I you know I have an iPhone and they they have um like memories pop up like a, yes. a photo from and <laughs> they keep up. yeah yeah I know it's great and one popped up last night that was from July July 4th actually um our independence day yeah. uh 2020 and I remember I was I was still in that abusive relationship and he was being so horrible to me that day. I just left and I went to go hang out with my two friends who were, who were dating. And, you know, we had a backyard barbecue and they were playing around with each other, like kind of wrestling and like um, 
playing with each other. And I was like, wow, I don't, I don't have that. Like, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. It's that like kindness, that laughter, that joy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't recognize that I wasn't present in my relationship till I saw it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so moving forward, I, I think the next phase of this is the people who recognize what's going on. We got to start building. And this, what you're doing is absolutely part of that mm-hmm. because people that are still under the spell, so to speak, I guess, when they start seeing people that have freed themselves from the hypnosis, whatever you want to call it, who are unafraid to embrace uncertainty moving forward and, and are building a new society that is based on that play, that play, that joy, that love, kindness, mm. um, community. When they see that being built, the contrast is going to be jarring. That's so true. Yeah. So if you want to wake people up, start building. I love that. I love that so much. And like you said, in that relationship, you only saw it when you saw it in, in your friends. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes people have to see it to believe it. <laughs> yeah. And it still took me a couple months to fully, fully wake up. But actually, that brings me back to a story that I, I went on a tangent. Alex Zach. I was just going to be at. That's so funny. Okay. So, so. He actually, we had a couple of phone calls where, you know, we disagreed, but the point, neither of us were engaging each other to win. Yeah. To prove a point. It was, it was curiosity on both sides. And I would imagine like a little patience on his side too. And (laughs) when he told me that there were no placebo controlled studies for most vaccines, that the vaccines are compared to another vaccine on the schedule. Uh, there, that there were not um, comparative studies between fully unvaccinated kids and then like a new vaccine that gets put on the schedule. I couldn't believe it. Mostly because I thought that those type of rigorous studies must have been done. Mm. But that's faith. That's not science. That's faith that I was going on. Yes. And I was like, could you, would you mind sending me them? Like sending me that the studies uh, that do exist, that, and I tried to find the placebo control studies. I couldn't. And he sent me a bunch of, um, of studies that I would have thought would have been available to me as a medical student. Because I'm like, I'm paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for this education. I would have thought that these studies would have been included. But it comes down to you don't know what you don't know. And I saw those studies and I was still... I was still in doubt for several months. And once I realized that there are, I think it really is the dividing line in society right now. It's not left, right, anything. It's uh, do you, the government or whoever in power would never do that versus, yeah, they would and they are. <laughs> yeah, this is so true. On point, yeah. 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 So everything else is just like part of the tactics. Of yeah, the, exactly. Yeah. But the real one is that 100. Yeah. So, you know, being exposed to information that uh, I had not been previously exposed to, that definitely like got my, my wheels turning. And then once I realized that the level of corruption in the world, I started going back through everything. Wow. And 
I started, especially like my medical training. I mean, we could, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be like the way it is. Um, like it is so toxic working in a healthcare system, which is why I think it was so easy for the media to scapegoat unvaccinated people. People don't owe doctors, owe society their bodies. Mm-hmm. That's sacred. And yes, that, okay, the, the hospitals are overwhelmed. That's not unvaccinated people's fault. But I think in any abusive situation, there's always like the person that, the abuser, there's frankly the enablers, and then there's a scapegoat. And the scapegoat distracts from that, the abuse that's happening. Wow. Oh. <laughs> wow yeah and this is the spell can you see the abuse yep and this happens a lot in families but in most abusive systems if you will a family's system there's usually there's always a scapegoat because the abuse has to go somewhere there's usually a golden child and i think that the doctors are being the golden children and it's toxic because they are eating up the mm. false praise of, of being heroes. And they are, be, to be clear, they are. They are working very hard. Hard doesn't even begin to describe. But I think that that is being weaponized. And doctors are being played against their patients the golden children are being played against a scapegoat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. It's triangulation. And it's weird because then it creates this division. It's like, there's this weird thing where it's like, I like what you said with the conversations you had with Alex. There was a curiosity. Yeah. I feel like uh, there's this weird concept, uh, yeah, idea that, it has to be right or wrong. It's like, no, I'm not allowed. I can't come to believe or understand or, you know, things of that you're, what you're saying, or I need to be, but it's not really what this is about at all. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not about being right or wrong. Yeah. And right or wrong changes. <laughs> yes. And there's also power, I think, because waking up or you know, showing somebody evidence that conflicts with their worldview. It's, it's, it's a tall order to question everything that you believe. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really destabilizing. And I think that's why it's easier to say conspiracy theorist or just slap a label on it and, and auto reject because really what you're asking someone to do is question their beliefs and also what what would it mean for the conspiracy for lack of a better word to be true it would mean that up to this point you missed it (laughs) and i missed it for for a while for like a long time and i didn't notice it but there's power in acknowledging that Mm. yeah if you 
can look at things through a new lens and have the courage and frankly the balls <laughs> to take each belief that you think you know or thought you knew and pass it through that new lens, that takes courage. That takes bravery. That It takes a really strong person. It takes bad bitch to be able to do that. And I think that the act of doing that confers strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. What is the word triangulation? What does that mean? So triangulation is, um, so it requires at least three people as the name would imply. And uh, an example of that would be you define there either are two different people or you define two different groups of people and you tell them who they are. So you tell one group of people you're a hero. You tell one group of people that they're to blame. And then instead of both of those people looking at the person who's creating this dynamic, they're just looking at each other. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. Oh, been loads of that going on. So much of that. The classic divide and conquer. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, like a toxic parent will do that between siblings. Yeah. So, you know, if another sibling's out of the room, uh, a parent might say, you know, like your other sibling thinks this of you. And then, you know, when the other sibling's in the room, the other one's out, uh, you plant seeds in that one's brain. And then the kids fight it out amongst each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, I wrote this poem in 2020 called Welcome to 2020. And it was just about how, you know, all these, the darkness and the shadows are really rising to the surface. In the power structures in the outer world, you can see is like big shadows that are coming out right now. But I feel like what, the way you described it as well is exactly it. The answer is not to try and change it outside there is to look at where your shadows are where you have these toxic traits and where you are following these <laughs> yeah exactly yeah because once you acknowledge them and you give yourself compassion for the fact that you have them and that you behaved in a certain way then you can release it yes exactly yeah but I love that as well you said you know this time January last year you also trusted you know, and yeah. like you said, to be able to just admit this is the way it is. You yeah. Know? yeah. And, and like, I'm a doctor. Like I, I probably should have demanded more evidence. I didn't. And that's just what it is. It's okay. Yeah. I'm glad that nothing happened. I'm glad that I really didn't have any side effects, but now that I can be honest about my reasons for doing things, I can choose new reasons mm-hmm. to do things in the future. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's no right or wrong. That's what I mean. It's like, I don't think that I was wrong for getting vaccinated. Would I make the same decision knowing what I know now? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Because there's too much uncertainty. And I think that the, um, I think that I was not being honest with myself about the amount of uncertainty because I, I wanted to believe in it. It was more of it was more of a belief and a, a faith-based decision than actual science. And uh, 
Yeah, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that though, because this is growth. This is a good thing. It's a good thing to be very honest about like our experiences and our motivations. So when confronted with similar challenges in the future, we can choose differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happened after, so you had these conversations with Alec and then mm-hmm. it, it took a little while until for things to actually settle. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I considered everything that he told me, but it really wasn't until um, that psychotherapist got censored. And then I started looking up um, some of the things that he had mentioned that I realized that there was a lot more going on behind the scenes that I didn't know because it was being censored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that was when I saw that WEF video, I mean, it was just so in your, like in your face propaganda. Um, Which one? There, well, there was one like about the great reset, like kind of promoting it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Here's what did it for me was because I still had this dichotomy in my mind of like left versus right. And on the one of the slides in there, it had um, like Hillary Clinton, it had uh, Ivanka Trump, George W. Bush, Putin, like all these people on one slide. Like these are the people making decisions. Um, Jacinda Ardern. Uh, and so it was like all these people were the ones making decisions. And in my mind, they were dichotomized. Yeah. So if these are the people that are actually making the decisions behind the scenes, and in my mind that they're, the media is telling me that they're mortal enemies, well, that's inconsistent. And there was just something about the video that was so obviously propaganda that it, I don't it's really these moments of when the, the cognitive dissonance breaks. Cause I had one in my, in my abusive relationship too. Some people call it Meredith Miller. So she, she does, um, I think her channel is called inner in- integration. She talks a lot about the narcissistic abuse and the dynamics in them, but she describes it as a, a frying pan to the head moment. Like just something hits you and it, it can be something so minor. Like this was just one YouTube video that probably other people see and they just go on with their day. But I think it's an element of divine intervention really Mm -hmm. where enough seeds have been, have been planted in your subconscious by people trying to tell you the truth. um, That finally something breaks the cognitive dissonance. That video was it for me and the world, I guess. But um, in my relationship, it was that one time folding laundry where yeah. I did get upset and he, and he was upset that I wasn't upset. And that made, that just had everything that made me realize that everything in that relationship was a lie. Mm-hmm. And that one video made me realize that there was um, a motive, potential motive behind everything that had been happening. And that a lot of the messaging I had been receiving was manipulation mm-hmm. and that it was being handled. Mm-hmm. So I think those moments are kind of unique to everybody, which is why, like, for instance, I showed my sister that video. And this is the, this is the other heartbreaking thing is it's dividing a lot of families. And friends. And friends. And, you know, I'm of the opinion that she still thinks like I'm completely nuts, but, but she loves me anyway. And, you know, that's good. That's good because she can, 
I guess, hold space for that. Yeah. And still entertain. Like, I know that she like watches all of my stories. And honestly, I think, I think people will wake up when they're meant to. I think yeah, a lot of it is divine intervention, but I think a lot of the reason why I post stories on my Instagram is it's a lot like kind of directed towards her. And she's, she's had, um, she's always had really bad anxiety and she's had panic attacks for a long time. And she actually overcame them. She became a yoga teacher and she managed her, her panic disorder that way. But in 2020, the panic attacks came back mm-hmm. and I know why, mm-hmm. and she has no idea why it's happening. But I, I mean, I guess I don't know for sure that that's why, but she's like, I don't know. It's connected to the pandemic somehow. I, I have no idea why, but I, mm-hmm. I want to show her like what I can see so she can at least make sense of it. Mm-hmm. But I guess she's just like not ready to see. And so it's difficult, but you can't force anybody to see until they're ready. Yeah, definitely. I think there's probably so many people who have uh, gone through that, you know, anxiety and in 2020 increasing of that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything like you would say you'd like to say? (laughs) What, to, to her or in general? To, in general, yeah, to anyone, because I just think that's probably been quite common, you know? Yeah. Well, I would encourage everyone, it's not just about the data. you Because you know what is a data point? Your gut feelings. <laughs> and can, can you plot it on a chart and track it over time? Maybe. Um, But I think that that's not really how it's designed to be perceived. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily supposed to be measured. It's just supposed to be paid attention to. Mm. And it is information. It's important information. And if you have a gut feeling that something is wrong, lean into it. Listen to it. Pay attention to when it surfaces, when it increases, when it subsides. Pay attention to when you feel calm and happy. Pay attention to when that feeling is not there. Because that's important information as well. And I think that if I had listened to that earlier, that that would have informed, I would have had a complete, more complete set of information with which to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I love that you said that that's that is a data point. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, it's just this world we've been brought into. We're not really taught that this our body is intelligent, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And I also think that I would absolutely say this, especially as as a physician, people are much more intelligent than they're being given credit for. Yeah. Much more. And I think that actually being a professional and I think being a doctor, especially gives you certain biases where you're not going to see things that maybe a a lay person would. So I think humility, epistemological humility about your potential blind spots, whoever you are. um, I think that that is essential 
and, and curiosity on all fronts. Mm-hmm. For people that are awake, for people that are still asleep, whenever you feel the urge to auto-reject something, instead meet that with curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super important. Yeah. Because I think in order to really refine and be certain about what it is that we think we do know, we need to come up against things that are false, but you need to test the hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So that's why censoring things and staying away from things that are conspiracies or bad or misinformation, I think that that is doing everybody a disservice because if you have a belief that you believe is true, you need to engage it with the opposing belief to see how true it is. Yeah. Realize you're not anchored to anything. Yeah, I love that. Wow, I love, yeah, amazing. I just think it does take a lot of courage to be able to step in and up into uncertainty, really. That's it. Into this unknown realm. And that can cause a lot of anxiety, I think, in, in general, just because... In, sometimes we can live our lives in such a concrete way mm-hmm. get so used to the routine and then all of a sudden ah like how there's nothing to hold on to and it's, right. just, it's amazing to hear your story in that especially from like going through such a shift you know like disagreeing with a lot of what people were saying on um, Alex platform and you know like wow <laughs> yeah yeah and I think there is a degree because everyone just wants, everyone just wants to feel safe. Yeah. And the routine and the set of beliefs that we've established from growing up in the society that we've grown up in, they, even if they're toxic, they can feel safe in a way because they're familiar. But on the other side of deconstructing that, reality you can take you can find security and you can find safety in truth oh yes <laughs> and you'll trust yourself more yeah yeah i love that and this journey the pursuit of truth you know yeah that's it but like real truth <laughs> yeah and then if, for the people who, I also think that there's a demographic, demographic of people that do see the truth, but are afraid to speak it. Mm-hmm. And to them, I say, speak anyway, because the people that are meant for you will find you and you will find them. And the opportunities that are meant for you will also find you. Yeah, totally. I mean, I never thought that I would have my own business and be able to completely work without a boss where work on my own terms, be completely free from like anybody could troll me. Anybody could threaten me. Like it's, it's, it doesn't matter, but I would not have found this opportunity if I didn't let go of other ones where I felt trapped. And even though it feels like the end of the world, it's actually a beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I feel like now is that time. Yeah. You know, we really have to choose what side we're going to be on, you know? Right. Yeah. 
And once we know what, what side, I think everybody knows deep down. And there's no shame in choosing either path. But um, I think for the people who have chosen to dispense with uh, this kind of toxic totalitarian system that's uh, being revealed around us, for those that are deciding to dispense with that, it's time to build. And what we build will be based on all the things that that system is not. And we're, we'll attract people that way. Yeah. Instead of trying to shake people awake, we'll create kind of a, like a soft landing for them to come to. <laughs> mm, I love that. Yeah. So that, that resonates for sure. <laughs> yeah. Build it and they will come. Yeah, exactly. And it needs to be built. Like that, I feel like that is really important because for, for, like you said, those of us who are dispensing it, right? We need it for ourselves as well, you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad we had a conversation. I do need to um, take off in probably about five minutes. Okay, cool. But um, this is great what, what you're doing, though, because the more people who are, you know, waking up, sleepy but waking up, um, see people talking about this confidently and, um, you know, rationally, people, people feel the truth, you know? Yeah. And it can, it can be scary because certain people react to the truth by feeling threatened by it, but those are the people that you will want to stay away from. You yeah. want to be around the people that will meet you with kindness and compassion and more importantly, curiosity. And the people that will attack the truth, well, now you know. Now like, they declared themselves. And that might be a temporary reaction. They might have to go through their own healing journey in order to be comfortable with the truth. But the more you are authentic about what you know to be true, the more your people, your people will find you. Mm, so, I love that. Yeah. Is there anything you would say to someone else? Cause I feel like there's also a whole group of people who have also got the injection first time around and now are maybe uncertain or um, don't want to continue, you know, with the. Yeah. I mean, the, the first and foremost, I would say, I respect your choice no matter what. But it's your choice. And you should look at, like, really write it down and write a circle. And in the circle, write everything that you believe, that you know, and that you're concerned about. And then, because it's your body. And then outside of that circle, be very specific about the social pressures that you're feeling. Oh, if I don't get this, I might lose my job. Oh, if I don't get this, I might not be invited to family dinners. Oh, if I don't get this, my friends will look down on me. So be very clear on your concerns versus other people's concerns and separate the two. And then within the questions that you rightly should have at this point <laughs> um, about whether or not to get you know, any, any medical intervention, write down your specific questions and find a doctor that will go through them with you. Wow. I love that. Because we're out there. We exist. 
and find somebody who'll tell you, listen, I don't know. I'm worried about that too. I don't know. Um, I'm going to find out and I'll get back to you. Or like, you know what? I don't even know if that's knowable at this point. Find someone who keeps it real with you. Mm. If someone's acting arrogant, that's from a place of insecurity. Mm. And it's not from a place of certainty. Because if you're certain, you're certain. You can just calmly state it. But if someone's trying to arrogantly shut you down, that's from a place of insecurity. And that's something that they have to work on. And you deserve someone who can be, mm-hmm. who can separate certainty from uncertainty. I love that. Okay, two more questions. Yes. Um, how have you dealt with fear? Because I feel like going through this process, naturally fear does arise. And when you start to realize, oh, what's going on? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. You have done. <laughs> so last April was when I first started realizing, oh my God, everything is not as it seems. I actually, I took, I, I needed time to myself. So I kind of withdrew a little bit, but I, I took, um, I took a road trip down the, the East coast of America. I drove from New York to Florida mm-hmm. and cause I love the beach. I love being, um, outdoors. I would encourage be outside in nature as much as possible mm-hmm. because if you're going to be in your own mind, reexamining all your own beliefs, you need to be grounded as much as you can. Mm-hmm. So I took two, three months, uh, to my probably two months to myself to write out journal almost every night, like what I'm experiencing, what I'm questioning, what new things I discovered, um, as a result of these questions, uh, feel free to take the time to your, for yourself to get very clear on what it is you do and don't believe, because I think fear does come from uncertainty, but you, you don't need to be, you don't need to fear it. Yes. You need to fix it. That's huge. And you will naturally feel fear at first, but once you face it, you can be quite comfortable in uncertainty because there are certain things that are knowable that you can ask questions and find out the answer. And there are certain things that don't have answers and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But if it's just this big monolith of uncertainty, that is very fear um, provoking, I think. But um, once you face, once you break it down into little identifiable pieces, like specific questions, I think it's easier to, um, to face uncertainty uh, as a whole and also to become comfortable with it. Yeah, that's so big to be comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah, and it it takes time as well, like you said, with your your process. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I love that. And then, yeah, just to end, what does freedom mean to you? Uh, freedom means being able to just speak my mind without having to pass it through 17 different filters first. Really, it freedom of communication is the number one thing for me. Um, I think freedom to travel, freedom of movement, those things are important, but you need to be able to communicate with others on, about controversial things. You need to ask the scary questions and have, and not be, not fear the consequences of asking questions in order to feel free. Mm-hmm. In order to know what is true. 
Mm. I love that. And not be afraid to look silly or crazy. <laughs> right. So, which, so I think like embracing it is, and, and also just using humor. <laughs> like, I think I told you before I started recording, but I, I, I say like, oh yeah, I rock the tinfoil hat all the time. It looks good on me. Like just <laughs> take that back. Say I'm a conspiracy analyst. <laughs> Would yeah. you like to know my analysis? Just making a joke about it. It, it dissolves the, the power of the label. I love that. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Yeah, definitely embracing it. Wow, thank you. So, sorry, did you want anything, any final words? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I was just thinking about when I first started speaking out. And my concern was like, I didn't want to come out of the gate. And it took many, many months for me to, you know, post anything on my social media start speaking to like my loved ones about it. Um, and at first you, you will get pushed back at first and that's okay. That's to be expected. You don't have to engage with anybody because with speaking out for every bit of pushback you get, you will get so much more encouragement mm. and you will find strength and empowerment in that encouragement. Wow, it's true. It's more powerful. Yeah. For instance, like yeah. I've had people that were colleagues, um, you know, I've worked with them in the hospital. I've worked with them at the NIH, even um, people I've, I met in high school. They've personally reached out to me privately and are like, thank you for saying something. I thought I was the only one. I thought I was crazy. Thank you for saying that. Please keep going. Mm. And anyone who speaks out in your social circle, there's going to be those people too. Yes. And it's when we talk about being right and versus wrong, it's not, a, it's not about being right versus wrong. It's about being curious. C curious is just curiosity is the goal. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Reframe it. Yeah. It's yeah. about trying to be right. Right. And it's, it's not about having to prove to other people why you think the way you think. It's about promoting curiosity. Yes. Yeah, man. I love that reframe. That's what, that's what the goal. Yeah. Be, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, completely. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much. I love this story. And thank you for sharing it with us and your voice using it as well. And to keep yeah speaking out as well especially as a doctor right now it's yeah like that's a big role to play <laughs> yeah yeah and if and I also um I do want to say that if anyone I, I mean being a doctor it's really I have a medical degree I have a certain degree of training um but I think the most useful actually uh I think the best use of my degree right now is just pointing out that we're just normal people and we have like our own faults as well. And I think bringing humanity back to medicine and honesty about what we do and don't know will help others be honest with themselves, both inside and outside the profession. It's okay if we don't know everything. It's okay if we get it wrong sometimes. 
but it's dangerous to not speak up if you're concerned about something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that, bringing back the humanity, (laughs) the humanness, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a total reframe of the way that we've been existing. (laughs) Absolutely. It's great that you're doing this. Um, I was looking through some of the other conversations you've had with people and it's very powerful. So definitely keep doing this. This is great. (laughs) Thank you you so much. Yeah, this conversations I find they're very powerful just for me, you know. Yeah. But it can also, yeah. Absolutely. Inspire others. And yeah, thank you. So great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we connected for sure. Yeah, bless. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and to this podcast. We hope that you can gain many insights through the art of listening. If you haven't already, we would love it if you can follow us on YouTube, on Instagram, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if that feels right for you. We've also just launched our first online course, Awakening 101. The Ninja's Guide to Navigating Your Spiritual Awakening, which is led by me and is offered by a donation. So if you feel called to that, then please dive in. It's available via our website. Thank you.